Hooray, hurrah. Once again, the smartest man in the world, Proofcast, returns to the air. We bend the ether and we seek solace in each other's arms as we swoop above this burning, glistening pile of... Like a thousand emeralds found glinting at the blackest reaches of the furthest part of the umber cave where eyesight fails and the imagination takes over. Whether it's Prince Philip's will never being opened, whether it's the Met Ball or Nicki Minaj's cousin's Met Balls. Nicki Minaj's cousin's friends never met those balls. My name's Greg. What's your name, lady? Hi, I'm Jennifer. Hello, Jennifer. It's good to see you again. (laughs) Jennifer's been... uh, Unbelievably awesome. (laughs) uh, I've had bronchitis. Thank you for asking. No, I don't have COVID. No, I didn't get it. Yes, I took a bunch of tests. You had about four tests. I did. Uh, I uh, I had occasion to do a small uh, turn on the cable television, and uh, as one does, and uh, they tested me in the car park, which was nice in my car, um, and I had to stick the uh, and at our house too. Yes, we right. There was a test at the house. There was many tests, which I was appreciative of. I don't think there's anything more important, Jennifer. You might agree at this time, of course, than one keeping our spirits up. Gosh darn it. This They're is rough. like World War II, right? Yeah. Remember the British during World War II? There was bombs raining down on... They were lucky, on... as I understand oh, it. Pluck... Tell me about it. They would hide in the tube underground. They had nothing to eat except Vickies from the machines and no electricity or whatever and just crappy tea. Is that where the the enthusiasm for baked beans on toast come from? Absolutely. So, the, nothing but celery and bark and, 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 uh, and, and poor dentistry. And, and no good food for a hundred years, and the Nazis dropping bonds on them. Did they give up at any point? No. You know what they did? They had produce before Brexit. Right? They were <laughs> used to have oranges from Israel and Spain. I'm sorry, that's that's just mean. It, no, you are. You're just lacerating now. You're reaching out. You know what you are? You're, that joke was as empty as a shelf at Marks and Sparks. Woo! Good night, everybody. This has been our show. Peace. Well, I just wait a minute. Hang on. Drop the mic. Uh, yeah, making fun of England, one of our chief. Uh, we want to come back so badly, and we want to see you guys so much. And we will. We're going to be back in England. That really, that was really selling it, wasn't it? By saying that, well, listen, Brexit wasn't your guys' fault. I know everybody you didn't vote for it. I, I, I listen. When you're from Nazi, there were two really angry people in Wales that we met that voted full on. They Brexit. were no, they were. We we pulled up uh, at the. A lodge in Wales, as it were. And this was several years ago. We were there for a book event. I wrote a book once upon a time. I wrote one book, by Did the you? way. No, I'm thinking about writing another one. I would just, I'm going to let the Hold audience on. know that. Yeah, I know that. So seven years after the fact. You might want to, you know. Just, slow the pace on yeah, that. Slow yeah. your roll. I'm, I'm practically Rest. Michael Connolly. I'm Rest. Dick Francis, but without the horses. Um, yeah. Who was the, it that, that rode in the road? Who rode in the road? Yeah, he was typing. On a typewriter? Yeah, the the horrible Western... 
Oh, Louis L'Amour? Yeah. He uh, would sit in the, in the middle of a road. Really did it? Yes. That's so awesome. Yeah, I'm sure that that was a stunt. Then there was that... It, it speaks to the quality of his writing. Right. Then there was that wild period in Stephen King's career where he said he just did drugs and wrote like all day long. And that. And then, of course, he didn't do that. And Is it's this been, when he actually ended up in a ditch? Well, that was the, a whole other matter. But the, and yes. then Harlan Ellison, who was a sci-fi writer and awesomely wrote... Uh, the City on the Edge of Forever Star Trek episode and a bunch of other stuff, Boy and His Dog, whatnot. He, uh, aside from being one of sci-fi's great sexists, um, he used to write in bookstore windows, which I always thought what? was at once showy, right? But also uh, demystifying, I think, something that writing, obviously, uh, uh, like Fran Leibowitz has had writer's block since she was three years old or whatever. She's 70 now. She, what does yeah, she say? She's she, really selling that. Yeah, she re, she's written two slim books, which are basically collections she, she of articles. She was writing in her own blood. That's why she wrote so slowly, because yes. she wrote with her, using her own blood. Okay. And um, I think writing in a store window, he would take an assignment, like someone would give him a title or something, you know, but like improvising. And he would just sit down and in about half an hour, an hour, bang out a short story. And I don't think that's out of the question, I think. Um, I think any musician we know or actor, artist, uh, any kind of art, even a painter or uh, someone who does uh, visual arts. What was it? it? Didn't Eric Satie say, though, if you kept bourgeois hours, you made bourgeois art? I couldn't agree more. I, we've never done that, Jennifer. Uh, we've <laughs> tried to keep opaque hours. We, we've shown a marked lack of discipline. Well, I think, yeah, that would be the artistry, uh, reaching for the four. My, I like to consider our lack of discipline the the, uh, the, the benchmark by which... We, <laughs> no, we're, we haven't exactly been Bob Hope about this and formulated a giant corporate plan that included real estate holdings. Um, no, we didn't uh, think that one. Th and I, I wanted to use Bob Hope because I wanted to use a comedian that none of you would know what I was talking about. Let me put it this way. Jennifer and I are never moving to Austin to protect our holdings at any point. Uh, although I did buy uh, uh, a stick to beat down um, possums with the other day. It's a con confederate. Possums? Yeah, it's a confederate possum beater, it's called. And it's a... Uh, it's part of the pool uh, cleaner collection that, you know, there's a lot of um, small pools in uh, our neighborhood in Lower California. And uh, the possum will, of a night, uh, take, to, take to the waves. And uh, there's a kind of, sort of a possum navy that goes along. You said there were wolves back in California. First of all, there's big news. We buried the lead on this. We buried the lead no, on everything. I think the big lead is that LA has banned feeding peacocks. That's awesome. That, that was actually something that, that, you know, there's a lot of issues. Yeah. Uh, LA is a very big city, mm -hmm. uh, 10 million in the county. People without houses, people uh, without places to live. That's a big and issue. So the, the police. I think it's a priority to think about how you might feed peacocks in your yard. Um, I'm all for it. Uh, I don't know if you know. Who's going to be enforcing this rule? Is oh. there a squad of people that, that drive by and... Art Artemis. Sure? Artemis, the goddess of the hunt. <laughs> I think you'll find if you check your Greek mythology, uh, the peacock was created... I can't remember the name of the character. Their eyes were thrown up against the bird and they were turned into that beautiful tale of the bird. And what about the noise they make? That's not quite as beautiful. I'm gonna. I'm going to find that right now because I think this audience deserves the very best. And if I can find a peacock, Bob Hope would be very disappointed to find out that the Board of Supervisors also is shutting down all the oil wells in LA. That was it. There and, was it. And strangely, it's it's one of the biggest pub, uh, 
urban oil fields in America. Well, let's go back cinematically in LA. and look at. And some, we've got peacocks. So right? oil fields, peacocks. There's a lot of LA movies that uh, people drive by and/or dispose of a body in the oil fields. And then, of course, there's fantastically uh, the movie with um, uh, James Spader. And Rob Lowe, bad influence. Where they're at the La Brea tar pits at you know, one scene, and they're at the oil fields. You have seen this film and described it to me. I have, I've missed it entirely. It's really, really a classic. Here's a peacock. No, that's not the volume. That's the tint. Oh God! Oh Lord! So the law in LA now states, stop, stop feeding them because. Well, then there'll be more of that. Well, we already have bears. I remember, it was a, a year ago, two years ago, a, a bear went to somebody's house in the valley. Wait a minute. Are you sure this isn't that mom, song? The bear went over the mountain. <laughs> the guy's mom had just made a delicious Chinese food. Oh, my God. I remember. Gog. And, oh, my God. And a lot of people here have sliding glass doors yes. near their kitchen. Great movie, too, by the way. Which is an awesome idea, except if there's a bear around, and they are really on to a lot of things, like pizza night. Mm -hmm. They know garbage night. They know when you're going to get a pizza. They know that you keep meatballs in your... Uh, Freezer. Extra refrigerator right. in your garage. And I they love that can part. handily open a garage with one paw. Yeah. They like swimming pools, hot tubs, and now they know this guy's mom makes Chinese food for lunch. And but they smell it outside, and they came in. Very graciously took the Chinese food and, and left. They didn't eat the Chinese food there. The bear took it with him. Yeah, took which, it back, take know. away. Yeah, exactly. But it was someone's house. So the, the guy walked away. in and saw his mother's food being pilfered by the bear, by bear. and had a, a coronary. Well, I don't think you'd take it well. Well, I saw The Revenant, and my understanding is they get super upset. And uh, they'll they'll mess you up even if you're a famous Hollywood actor with an Oscar. Uh, so, but feeding the peacocks here is it's, it was Argos Panoptus, the hundred-eyed giant. Uh, Hera, upon the death of him, placed his eyes into peacock's tail herself, or alternately, in the other version of the myth, turned Argos into a peacock. Hera, as you know, is the queen of the gods. It's still controversial, I think. Sometimes known as Juno, to orient you out there. She's the Roman name is Juno, the Greek name is Hera. Oh, thank you for clearing that up. Zeus is, uh, uh, Zeus is married to Hera. They're the, they're the royal couple at Mount Olympus. But I had forgotten that it was... I remembered when I was little hearing this story, but I forgot that it was a giant that when it died, she... The giant had a hundred eyes. By the way... Um, they say that you're run around lover Cause the giant has a hundred eyes And a hundred eyes can't help but Nobody? Bobby Rydell? All right. All right. Uh, and that was the big news. And then Gavin Newsom won his uh, awesome Yay. recall election that the um, seditionists by, put by together. By an even bigger margin than he won for governor. Let's so talk about They've it. actually... The Republicans <laughs> have reduced <laughs> their reach. They've, they've succeeded... Uh, they, they pulled this stunt. They wasted a ton of money and time. Um, but Gavin Newsom has some important friends. He's got uh, Vice President Harris. He's mm -hmm. got President Biden. Uh, Nancy Pelosi came out for him. He had everybody show up in California. And the electorate. To step for him. Yeah. Turns out we want to get past the pandemic. Yeah. 
and we want to move forward. And one of the first things he did uh, the minute he uh, was declared the winner, which was, I think, 38 minutes after they started counting. It was great. We, yes, it was. We were watching TV, and at 7.38, they declared. he His campaign, one of his campaign managers had already said in the day that it was a... I didn't, he didn't use the word mortal lock, but it was... <laughs> yeah. At 7.38, he was the winner, and he gave a very gracious speech and said, democracy is not a football. You don't throw it around. It's a very precious vase. Ming vase, did he yes, say? Yes, he said it was a vase. It's a vase. It's an antique vase. Yeah. Um, but, but he... Uh, said he was going to lean in to getting us out of the pandemic. Yeah. That that was the priority, obviously. I mean, we have governors in other states who are trying to fight uh, mask mandates and impede vaccination and all sorts of kind of, you know, counterintuitive. Uh, yeah, to say the least. I'd say there's a lethal intent uh, in Florida, Texas, South Dakota, and now uh, California, Georgia, Idaho. California has... The best situation. Yeah, we're, doing, we're, we're actually doing really well here. We are. We're up to seventy percent of every, of everybody having at least one inoculation, and also we dropped out of the uh, critical category. Yeah. Our hospitalizations went down. They, that's because uh, people here uh, actually wear masks inside for real. In yeah. Los Angeles, they do well, not outside. Now, now you around. have to be vaccinated to go to events. You have to be. In West Hollywood, you have to be vaccinated to go to a restaurant or a nightclub. Right. And starting in October, what, a couple of weeks from now, they're going to have a mandate if you go to a ball game. Yes. Well, I think it's 10000 for those things. And then uh, it's going to be indoor everywhere except restaurants, is it? It's bars. Restaurants are recommended. Bowling I think alleys. That's and, happening. Yeah. You know, it's We're going to get it. It's going to happen. Well, on that note, I was just in Colorado, and thank you very much, everyone who came out to see me in Parker. I hadn't done a gig in a year and a half. The only gig I did was uh, Jennifer's... Film Club, uh, we did uh, Mr. Hulot's Holiday last month. And tomorrow night, or Tuesday night, I think there's still time to come see us. You can come uh, see us at the, uh, where are we? Los Vilas 3. The, the Los Vilas 3. It's in the hipster neighborhood. And we're showing uh, The Lady Vanishes by Hitchcock. And it's really a sensational film. Isn't it? It's, uh, it's so much fun. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, and has, like all Hitchcock films, you won't guess the ending and all that jazz. Uh, that's a Tuesday at 7.30 or 7 o'clock. I think the movie starts at 7.30. Anyway, we do the uh, Proofcast first. We do the film club first. We don't, we don't have a date yet for October, but we'll let you know. And uh, Jennifer's picking out a picture. What were the two women we were talking about? Well, I was thinking uh, Mario Baba, but I won't go further with detail. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember where I was going with this awesome... I was thinking either Cluzo or Baba. Mario Baba for a Halloween picture. Yeah. Well, anyway, we're showing Hitchcock and it's only the second Hitchcock film we've shown. I think the only other one was Lifeboat. Uh, the movie, the song that we played at the top of the show, My Darlings, was um, from a picture called uh, That Man in Rio, which is a, a classic adventure picture from the early 60s. Well, it's one of uh, Jean-Paul Belmondo's favorites. Yeah. And you were talking about Belmondo at the last film club. Right. And how we, we saw him. And uh, he's he was one of those indelible uh, legends. Just a, a, a figure of fantasy made real. Oh, yeah. Who showed up at the, the Brasserie Sur Lille that we were at outside facing Notre Dame. So you're looking at one monument when another, the moving monument shows up. Right. In the middle of Paris, on the island. Mm -hmm. 
he uh as you described his his uh bodyguard his chauffeur uh pulled up onto the sidewalk yeah and uh he you said it was his wife's dog, but he had always had a Yorkie. Right. He, it was the his, little, the dog little dog was, was his, his and the big dog was hers. Uh, one of the journalists I follow online who's, who lives in Paris, he said that he used to live near him on the Rue Saint-Père and that he always had his Yorkie in his arms and that he, he made the rounds. And I can't think of anybody of his celebrity status oh, no. that lived in the center of Paris and was at all the places you'd expect him to be in Paris. He was in Voltaire mm. at his favorite table. He was at the Café de Alma. He was at uh, all the the places right near the monuments. Mm-hmm. In the center of Paris. Yes. That are classic places to go. And not shy. It, he, he didn't... Uh, for someone who was so athletic and a boxer and did all his stunts until he was 52, when he had his stroke, he didn't stay at home. Mm-mm. He was out and about. It was the greatest movie star experience we've ever had. He kicked. We were sitting outside of this cafe, blustery day, so blustery in Paris, looking at Notre Dame Cathedral. We're sitting outside eating, and uh, I had the hamburger with the french fries and an egg on it, and the uh We've been there many times, and to be honest, it was not it was not their finest hour, and the weather was really tempestuous to the point where the bread basket went flying. (laughs) Other people, and it was sort of like maybe I don't know six tables were full. It was it was an off month at an off kind of middle of the day, and the um, the waiters can be a little bit you know waiters. Parisian places like that, they're they're usually there for their whole careers. They're they are not, Oh yeah, no, they work for seventy years. They're yeah. not there for a couple of years. So no, no. you see the same guys. No. And they're not they weren't really having it that day. Mm-hmm. They were hiding inside. Yeah. And and we were sitting there uh kind of amused at how crap the day was a wine glass had gotten blown over onto the cobbles and exploded and they didn't <laughs> and the clean waiters it up or hid. no they hid but then then Belmondo shows up yeah. with his wife and his bodyguard on the sidewalk uh, the guy stayed in the car Belmondo and his yeah. wife sat two t- a table away from us there was he an empty table and my then chair he said yeah he, sat, he kicked your chair and he went pardon yep and looked at us, and at that point, we both freaked. Yeah. Because despite the the t- passage of time, despite the stroke, despite the the windy day, he looked every bit like Belmondo. Yeah. yeah. So, and he had a dog, and the dog sat next to each of them, and his glamorous wife, uh, Natalie. I can't remember. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And and you know he was just amused, and mm-hmm. he he. Was that personality that that you and I've talked about different uh, athletes or performers who just let you love them? Mm-hmm. And he sat with his back to the restaurant, looking out over everyone, and just knew the effect he was having and was taking it all in, not in a in a self-aggrandizing way, mm-hmm. like a I know mm-hmm. I'm here for you, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I am here as the French legend, and 
no one left. No, no one budged. And everybody started. And it was yeah. every age group. Yeah. There, there was a young the guy in his early 20s. There, there were people in their 70s. Yeah. And there were people from different countries. Yes. And we were all completely silent waiting for him to speak. Yeah. And eventually people went over and said, can we have your autograph? And because his right hand was uh, stricken from the stroke... He raised his hand and went, like, mm-hmm. and so he couldn't really, he was signing anyway, Yeah. but he was signing with his left hand and he was taking pictures with people. And once the ice broke, once the first person went over, then it was a flood and then it went <laughs> on and on and on. Then his food came and everybody left him alone. Um, the waiter came out and shook hands with him. Then the head waiter, then another waiter, then the head waiter. Then another upper higher manager type. Then the chef came out well, I'm in as, his chef clothes. I, I'm assuming that since he was that guy, that that was a, a regular part of yeah. the beat. You know, that yeah. they would stop over there. On the sidewalk. On a Tuesday yeah. or whatever. Right. You know. Let's and go get lunch. This, this was their rounds. Yep. And, and I really loved reading uh, online about people sightings of him and that he was always with a smile. It was always... Yeah. You know, yeah, I'm I'm Belmondo. Um, they called him Bibel, yeah. was his nickname. And he was such a, a part of Saint-Germain. He was a co-founder of the footy team. Right. He started the Saint-Germain Football Club. Right. He uh, was from Paris. His father's sculptures are in the Tuileries. Um, and so, it's so profound for him to end at... Des Invalides, and uh, I think that he would have found You mean when it, Napoleon's buried? <laughs> that, that he would have been most amused yeah. with his image to have had that uh, over-the-top memorial service like a statesman. with the president like a of France yeah. touching the flag yeah. over his, yeah, yeah. his casket. He was lying in state. Yeah. He was Louis Sixteenth. He was Talleyrand. He was... Uh, uh, Chateaubriand, he was, you know, bigger than that. There's a line. Descartes. There's a line from this uh, because he was Belmondo. There's there's like three or four obituaries in every yeah. eulogies in every paper, and this one in the New York Times uh, says uh, his disengagement from a society is total. He accepts corruption with a cynical smile, not even bothering to struggle. Based on his performance yeah. in, in Breathless, this is from 1965, Eugene Arch- Archer wrote in the New York Times. Um, he is out entirely for himself. The Belmondo type is capable of anything. Yeah. <laughs> Just fantastic. And also, he was really happy with the, to extemporize in that picture. Um, well, they'd had no script. Right. It, it was based on an idea by Truffaut. They had a handheld camera. I mean, it, for the time, it was it was completely shocking. Oh yeah, and, and Godard said to him, "What do you say?" Godard handed him a piece of paper that said, "Guy robs a bank, wants to get with a girl," <laughs> and he goes, "That's it. There's there's no script. That's it." Well, and from that, mm. you, you become this indelible figure, an yeah. icon, uh, and a whole so style it's, of filmmaking. It's really him, you know. It's 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 this. Uh, he had that kind of uh, Paul Newman, James Dean. Thing, Marlon oh, Brando, yeah, Brando Mitchum. right? All, all together, uh, he was uh, 
from a family of artists. His mom was a painter, his dad was a sculptor, and he went to the conservatory in Paris yes. to study theater. And Where he was a rebel child. Right, exactly. He couldn't control himself, couldn't be anything but the the pugilistic right. troublemaker. Yeah. Right. It, Chasing girls, flat nose. And he got into trouble, uh, even though he was a star pupil, he got into trouble uh, at one of their events and m- made the teachers so angry it made the papers and and his fellow he came in with his hands in his pockets when they were doing Shakespeare or whatever <laughs> Moliere <laughs> Moliere he, Moliere which is pure theater farce and he, he comes in with his hands in his pockets and but his Did, fellows, the, I think the thing is... Didn't they expel him and when they graduated, yeah. everybody carried him on their shoulders or whatever? Yes. The, well, that's what I was going to say. Despite the, this uh, singular kind of persona, right. his fellow students, instead of being angry at him or jealous of him, loved him. Yeah. And I think that was really true his whole yeah. life. Yeah. That people... The thing that's so over the top is you can look on YouTube. There's, there's a, a zillion... Uh, clips of him doing his own stunts mm-hmm. and there's uh one where he he jumps up in front of a train at the last minute minute and and the camera person says well you know how do you feel and he says not bad yeah like he doesn't no. it's he's like, stone cold it's crazy and he's he's a physical comedian at the level of uh keaton and jackie chan he yes. can really does yes. jump off buildings and roll down hillsides and run on tops of trains, like in the old yes. the silent movies. Yes. He really runs on top of a yeah, train. There's no CGI. No. There's no. There's no stunt, no. stunt double. No. He he uh, in uh, Man from Rio. He's he's yeah. crawling uh, across a, a building. Up, I don't know how many stories up. Um, there's there's one where he's uh, falls out of the back of a truck into a quarry. Yeah, the dump truck dumps him down a precipice. It, and it, it's like a, the Keaton movie, right. except... A thousand chances. More dangerous. Yeah. Oh, my God, no. And you think, did he break his spine? Did he break his back? Did he break his legs, his head? Concussions? I mean, he did it for ages and ages and ages. So I can't he, think of another star. Until he was star. 52. It's but is really there another wild. star? Because the only ones that are in his category as far as magnetism and the way people love them are... Sean Connery, maybe Tashira Mufuni. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say Maxwell Cedar, but Tashira I don't think Mufuni people love did Max. a lot of his own stunts, but only at the beginning. Yeah, at the beginning. And Sean Connery, no. I'm sure he did maybe a few, but not, uh, not known for it. Errol Flynn, yes. <laughs> but Errol Flynn had that kind of sexy, insouciant, mm-hmm. except that he's not a rebel, he's in except a period thing. Here again, we have to talk about the. The unbelievable aspect of Belmondo's life is that he lived to be 88. Yeah. 88 with that kind of attitude with that kind of flair how did he do with chicks what was his his famous <laughs> line thank you for asking uh claudia he cardinale with, he was ursula, with ursula andres ursula for a andres, while yeah I, I think that oh here it is hell everyone knows that an ugly guy with a good line gets the chicks gets the chicks <laughs> it's bridget bardot it's sophia the pictures he's in he's in pictures with sophia lauren uh, Ursula Andras, Claudia Cardinale, uh, Catherine. Yeah, I'm, I mean, it's ridiculous. And he worked with directors Truffaut, Melville, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mal, Goddard, Goddard. Uh, yeah, he, De Sica. He's in Two Women with Sophia, Sophia Loren, where she got yeah, her Oscar. Sophia Loren. Yeah. he's the intellectual in that, which is okay, awesome, right? 
All I don't the gangster think anyone films. would describe him as ugly. All the gangster films. The, what was the one that I love where he he turns out to be the good guy in the end? Kida Ofre? Le Dulos. Oh, yeah. The uh, informant. The informant. Then that's a real hot one. And he has his usual... That one, he's in a that, trench coat with a cigarette. My, it's one of my favorites. Yeah, he's quite good in that um, one. That one is uh, that's Mel- it, Melville. That's yeah. And, uh, so it's all style. It's it, so good. This criterion description is a stone-faced Jean-Paul Belmondo stars as enigmatic gangster Cillian who may or may not be responsible for squealing. That's the one. And they take it to the whole movie. And it it goes back and forth, uh, shot and edited with Melville's trademark cool and featuring masterfully stylized dialogue and performances. One of the filmmakers' most gripping crime dramas. It really holds up. Yeah, he's awesome in it. He's awesome in everything, though. I mean, then there's the Borsellino pictures with uh, (laughs) Alain Delon. He's teamed up with Delon, and they're just, like, unbelievable. It's just... It's like Redford Newman. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah. Delon said, well, they, they had known each other for about 60 years, yeah. that he was broken. And because he's still Alain Delon, he did a, basically a performance at the funeral. Mm-hmm. after The day after the memorial was the funeral, and, and Delon was, uh, you know, waving. and Oh, yeah, got out of the car. Get, getting props. Did a lap, yeah. yeah. And he still has great hair and looks great. He's, he's 80-something, too. Yeah, yeah. I, well, he, him and Catherine Deneuve... And Brigitte Bardot, she can turn the light out. Godard is still alive. Belmondo is uh, everything that's great. Like I said, the the only person I can think of that people just worshipped and adored like that is Sean Connery in Scotland. Belmondo in France is like Maurice Chevalier combined with Edith Piedoff combined. You know what I mean? Like people just love. But that's why I I think that I I watched the whole uh, memorial uh, at the Envelie. And... People were crying, mm-hmm. crying, and right. they had a hitmen were crying. They had an <laughs> orchestra, yeah, uh, and they finished with uh, they played a piece by Morricone right. uh, from the Professional, and you could tell that people were just losing it. Yeah. His whole family, Belmondo's whole family, was there um, to have the president of France Ooh. read your eulogy. I think. They had it at the place where all of the most famous people in France are. Literally, there's... The pomp and circumstance of walking across the cobbles. Yeah. Slowly. With a honor guard. Yes. Uh, it was... And he, they had a, a large photo of him from maybe the 90s. Right. And there's and, no other way you could describe him as movie actor. American yes. French tough guy. Yeah. Yeah. Action star. Well, I, I think, you know, French monument. Yeah. He, yeah. he was he was that guy, but and and he did his share of art films and his share of acting. But that's not why people loved him. People loved him because he is the guy with the cigarette who did go to the restaurant and let you talk to him. Who is the right. guy he who was approachable? He yeah. he always he uh, did get the great looking chicks. He did his own stunts. He really was that guy. I mean, like what? It's just <laughs> and the movies are good. He's in a lot of great movies. Like he doesn't. He later, yeah, there's some cornball stuff, you know, in the 80s and 90s, but so what? And then he also did great stage work when he was older and everything. He Well, it, I was going to say, in, in what, 2000, no, 90, sorry, he he did uh, Cyrano de Bergerac. Yeah. He did Keen Which on stage. Which imagine how great he was. I, 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 it's too easy to yeah, imagine. Born to do it. He came back after the stroke yeah. and, and did some movies. Did a picture a couple years ago, right? Or mm-hmm. last year, was it? No, it was a couple, couple years, years ago. ago. Um, He's he, got white he hair. He won a Cesar. Yeah. 
uh, he kept his hand in. Yeah, I just, uh, it, he's just everything, you know, uh, of, as far as French cinema goes. And to start in the new wave like that, and uh, it was such an exciting, uh, obviously over-covered time as well. But that, yeah. the, his his opening picture is so well, For him Europe. to be, right, he was 28, and for him to be the face with Gene Seberg yeah. of the Nouvelle Vogue, yeah. I mean, he's, you can't, you know, there's Antony Artaud, uh, not Antonio Rito, sorry, Jean Pierre Leo. And there was Anthony Rito as well. <laughs> not it as wasn't the face. Va- <laughs> it wasn't as vogue, but it was Nouvelle. <laughs> but, you know, the, he's the guy. He's, yeah. he's the face of New Wave mm-hmm. French cinema. And it was such a, 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 a volatile, exciting moment. Oh, and the movie's really wild, and it's re- it still holds up, and it's great. It's a uh, it's an awesome, <coughs> excuse me, it's a sexy relationship film. It's also an existential caper film, right. and then uh, it, it's a film about films because at one point when he's gangstering around Paris, he's wearing a trench coat and a hat. He's got a cigarette in his mouth, and he looks in a window, and it's a poster of Bogart, and he goes boogie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, so and, and he's not unaware that. With, He's in a French in a French film that's right, about a film yeah, about a film. Yeah. Uh, the the big uh, smile and mm. the ever present cigarette. Yeah, maybe jetons. I don't know. Uh, Galois. Right. The, the broken nose. Yeah. And uh, often without a shirt in, often, in a lot of pictures. The and, end uh, of the movie, in fact. Pretty pretty uh, pretty ripped, scrawny, sexy. There's no replacing Belmondo, and it won't be replaced. But you can still dig him in all these different pictures. We're we haven't watched it, but we've got that man in Rio teed up, I think. And then um, uh, just because it hilariously, not hilariously, awesomely, it was one of his favorite pictures. He did work with every arty director, and he was not dismissive of it, but he put it in perspective. He was like, "Look, I got bored of being in these movies that were really arty, and I wanted to do a bunch of action movies and fun comedies and dramas and shoot 'em ups and stuff." And he did, and they're really worthy. Like you were saying, Le de Lille by Melville. Uh, it's not. Uh, I think he excited everybody beyond measure by being that awesome person that he was. He wasn't a rat fink. He wasn't known for being nasty or anything like that. He wasn't. What about when like, he's jumping across cars in Greece? Yeah. He jumps from the top of one car to another, maybe what twenty cars. Yeah. And then he lands in front of the director. And just starts laughing. Yeah. And that's how you want to remember him. You can look all these clips up on YouTube. They're great. Yeah. John they're, Bil- they're really Bil- awesome. Belmondo's stunts. Because you, they'll blow your mind. It, you just know. It is like Buster Keaton or Jackie Chan. Like, you really oughtn't to be doing yeah, this. Yeah, you, you should not. Really not. There's no that. safety measures at all. There's no wire. There's no mattress. You're just jumping from car to car in a traffic jam. And the, the thing that, you know, that's what makes him uh, Bebel is the reaction after he does this yeah yeah as cool as a trout yeah he's like a trout in a brook just very cool (laughs) indeed also not he didn't do the Hollywood thing he's in a couple pictures where he speaks English but he's in he's in what is Paris burning Paris Mm -hmm. and um, is Paris burning not Paris is burning (laughs) it would be awesome if he was in Paris is burning if he was doing a Vogue ball Uh, yeah no he's in is Paris burning but I I bet he could have he didn't he didn't really do that and uh, that is sort of awesome too 
that he was certainly famous to American audiences, but yeah. not not doing a bunch of pictures here. Well, like uh, Daniel Latoy, he had a totally different voice in English mm, mm. Uh, that went up another re- register. Right. Um, like Iggy Pop speaking Spanish. Remember yes, that? we don't. Yeah, this is something we're hipping you to, and I'm, we've <laughs> talked about it before. I'm apologizing. We were in Spain and we were watching um, TV, and Iggy Pop was on. And Iggy Pop understands Spanish quite well and speaks it reasonably fluently. And he, but he spoke Spanish in a higher <laughs> register. His, his, he had a high pitched voice when he spoke Spanish, and we were like, because Iggy Pop's always like this. And you're kind of like, is that so? Is Iggy Pop a character? Right. Obviously, Iggy Pop's it is. Always, yeah, this is the confidential. It's not James. I was uh, hanging out in Berlin at the time. So everything's always <laughs> down there. And then in Spanish, it was, Mr. Muy bien. And you were like, what? How come Iggy Pop talks in a high Right. Daniel Latoy talks like this in English. When we saw French him, accent. we saw yeah. him in Paris. We did. And he was in character. He was neurotic. He was wearing a, a trench coat. newspaper under his arm, yeah. gesticulating wildly. Yeah. And he, he threw his head back in laughter, like, mm-hmm. which was fantastic. Yeah. I mean, no, I don't you wore a trench coat with a newspaper. You could compare. You, you would have to run into Maurice Chevalier or Yves Montand right. to, to compare to Belmondo, right? Yes. Edith Piaf would have to be walking towards you. And the, with some, our letty. Yeah. Some, yeah. Right, our letty's there. Something that uh, also struck me is that, um, like in London, most. Uh, characters of his vintage and his stature would have had the country house or they would have uh-huh. fled the country to another place for tax reasons. Right, they would have lived in the south He never left Paris. Mm-hmm. He was Parisian to the core, yeah. which made it fitting. He didn't move somewhere for tax purposes. He didn't live out in the country. He didn't do no, any of those things. No, he wasn't raising chickens like even Catherine Deneuve. No, nope. right, Catherine Deneuve, unbelievably, with a cigarette, raising chickens... <laughs> Yelling at the chickens. Maybe kicking one right. now and Every again. Every once in a while, yeah. Just to show him his boss. <laughs> I hope she dresses like she did in the movie Indochine with jog purse and like a chignon <laughs> and just kicks the shit out of the chickens. That would make me very happy. You don't think she's always an Yves Saint Laurent? That would be make me even happier if she had an Yves Saint Laurent like hacking a, a outfit. smoking yeah, jacket. Yeah. yeah, just pretending to feed them. <laughs> what is this meal? Jean-Paul Belmondo carries on. You can see him everywhere you look, if you look into the sky. Uh, let's uh, talk about some other people who have swirled off into the heavens. Um, sadly, we, we lost a, a titan of activism and uh, just an all-round uh, important person to... Everyone, but especially the black gay community, um, Carl Bean founded the Minority AIDS Project and the Unity Fellowship Church, nicknamed the Black Gay Church for being the country's first black church affirming of the LGBTQ community. Really? And he was 77. Uh, he had an amazing breadth of career. He was a gospel singer. He uh, was uh, all around the country, but settled finally in L.A. And he even did a song that was, uh, he wanted to combine gospel Mm -hmm. and disco. 
and Barry Gordy heard it and really liked it, but I think he was he was just ahead of his time. Here's a, a piece from that. Uh, it, he was Carl Bean and Universal Love, and this is called All We Need Is Love. fantastic um he he realized uh this is jasmine canick i'm reading from who is a reporter in la Uh and uh she writes back in 1985 bean said there wasn't any attention being paid to the many many black men who were dying from aids uh so he founded the unity fellowship church movement uh and was uh, the the uh, founder of the Minority AIDS Project in Los Angeles to focus on the number of blacks contracting the relatively new virus, HIV mm-hmm. and AIDS, um, which was an amazingly brave thing to do. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. And he had come from... Uh, as I said, Barry Gordy had wanted to sign him the the he had n- not this song, but there was another one, "Gotta Be Some Change," that made it in the charts as a da- dance song. Um, he then uh, was known for singing a song and writing a gay liberation song called "I Was Born This Way," mm-hmm. that of course influenced Lady Gaga, and she p- paid tribute to him for being the inspiration. Uh, if I can just stop that for a second Please. and find the other one. This is the original I was born this way. Whoa. No, it, it, that is it. Awesome. Um, what year is this record? 
86? 77. Oh, 77. I'm he is so dead. ahead of his time. Um, he, when he was uh, growing up, they tried to give him therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, to cure him? Yeah. And he finally met a German psychiatrist who said, there are many people like you. I can't do what your parents want. But I can help you accept who you are and go for your dreams. That gave me enlightenment and the chance to accept myself. I had had another doctor. I might have been a different animal. He went to Harlem, and then uh, he founded this band, Universal Love. In his words, we were too far ahead of the curve. I was part of a movement looking to erase the line between R&B and gospel. And... uh, that's when Barry Gordy found him uh, before the village people. He did a, a dance song that made an explicit connection between disco and gay world. Um, and then he decided to be this activist. Mm-hmm. In 82, he was ordained, founded his church. The motto of the church was God is love and love is for everyone. Um, he decided to establish similar congregations around the U.S. and the Caribbean. I told them, if you can get 10 black gay men and lesbians together who aren't afraid to be out, I will come and talk. And he, that's what he did for years. Wow. And he came back to L.A. in 95 and uh, founded the Minority AIDS Project in 85. Um, he was honored many times for his work, receiving an NAACP Image Award in 87. There's an intersection in Los Angeles named in his honor. Uh, I was born this way and remained an important anthem for the gay community and gained a new lease of life in 2011 when Lady Gaga used it as the foundation for her own hymn to acceptance. I heard this song and I just said, man, does that answer every question she told the radio. Um, He was honored and flattered that Gaga had referenced his biggest hit. I felt it was a great tribute and it was the continuation of saving lives. That's from uh, the BBC. Just fantastic. Carl Bean. with Dionne Warwick, Sammy Davis Jr., Burt Bacharach, and Miles Davis. Right on. It's just tremendous. Yeah, Irma Kalish, uh, who uh, wrote with her husband for a thousand years, um, and every TV show ever is uh, swirling in the stars. She fantastically... uh, Started in Hollywood with the Martin and Lewis show and then wrote for the Colgate Comedy Hour. Her husband was named Austin Rocky. Kalish. 70 years uh, they worked together. And she, uh, she worked literally on every show you could possibly think of. Um, I Dream of Jeannie, My Too Close for Comfort, My Three Sons, every show like that. But super awesomely, um, she was a woman producer on Good Times. 
when there were very few women producers. She was executive producer on Good Times. And then Maud, which was a really instrumental show in the 70s with Beatrice Arthur, playing this intellectual woman uh, in New York. Uh, there was a ep- two-parter episode where she got pregnant and she was in her 40s and mm-hmm. she decided to have an abortion. And it was a, a real national thing. Everybody talked it about it. It was on the cover of TV Guide. It was, a big it was in deal. Time magazine. Yeah, we talked about it on the news. We talked about it at school. We all watched both episodes, and um, but the, she wrote it, that. Irma Kalish wrote that because uh, the the framing was so different. Then it wasn't a battle between her and outside forces telling her what to do with her body. Mm-hmm. It was about her choice of having the abortion. Right. Whereas now it would be about whether you could or not uh, well, they actually would... find a clinic or a doctor. Mm-hmm. But on the show, it was about her talking about it, even. Right. The episode's called Maud's Dilemma, not Maud's Abortion. And no, it's not about anti-choice people and what their craziness is. It wasn't any about that. It was really, really about her conscience. And that's the kind of writer I think she could be, her and her husband, when they... Uh, Good Times was a show that tackled a lot of issues, and there was a very memorable issue of it, which is why I wanted to talk about her, as well as, of course, her 70-year career uh, writing and show business. She also wrote for Valerie, if you remember that show with Valerie Harper, the sequel mm-hmm, to Mary Tyler Moore's show. Um, this is a, the kind of line that I love that's in um, The Trades. This is from Variety. Uh, Irma May Ginsburg was born in New York City. After graduating from Syracuse, and this is when, when your life gets boiled down to an awesome show business line. And by the way, she is an awesome show business figure. She started out as a magazine writer in New York City, but soon veered into comedy writing. As you do. <laughs> like the careening <laughs> you know, when you're out of control. Um, the fact that there's not that many women who had 70 years as a comedy writer on television, executive produced shows. And Maybe did, three. Uh, uh, one, and she, two. In the 40s. She was on writing on a show in the 40s. Like, you know, yeah, one or two. And I think veered into comedy writing kind of really glosses over the exact... Her talent well, and yeah, tenacity. The, what it, what it might have taken to be... She also said her, Rocky really encouraged her that he, it wasn't that she was just his wife, that they really were partners and that, you know, he wasn't... Uh, Patty Duke, the millionaire, that girl, Brian Keith, just fantastic, on and on and on. And then I couldn't resist this one. She wrote a movie called Keep Off My Grass. What? With Mickey Dolan's directed by Shelley Berman. I just had to throw that in because I don't think we're ever going to have that again in the film club or anything. Well, was there a Davy Jones movie directed by George Burns? By, <laughs> by Sandy Barron. Jackie Vernon did a short subject with uh, Peter Tork. It was called Torkin' Up. Um, yeah, no. I, th- there's a movie. It was a Weed Smokers versus the Straits, I guess. I've never seen it. Mickey Dolan's from the Monkees, who is uh, a very lovely guy, uh, is in it. And Shelley Berman, who I've met. Uh, you met both of them. I met Shelley Berman and Mickey Dolan's. Shelley Berman was really nice to me and couldn't, was the soul of niceness. And I asked him about um, uh, Lord Buckley because he was mentioned in the Lord Buckley book, or he's interviewed in the Lord Buckley book, Dig Infinity. Lord Buckley was a hipster comic from the 50s. And... Um, 
I, he said, no, I didn't know him, but we used to uh, go over to the Hungry Eye and see him after we finished our shows in San Francisco. So they would do their sets, and then they'd run over to see his midnight set. There were so many comedy clubs and jazz clubs yeah. at that point in San Francisco. Mm. And Shelley goes back to them because when he won his Grammy, it was, what, 61? His is before Bob Newhart even. Mm -hmm. And it's the telephone uh, routine and all that. Anyway, uh, he directed a movie that Irma Kalish wrote with Rocky. And um, I just couldn't, um, I couldn't resist naming that, really. It's just such a, sometimes show business is awesome more than anything. And writing a movie called Keep Off My Grass, I think really uh, lifts my spirits right? this weekend. Comedy has a lot of uh, things that I don't really want to talk about now. I'm not loving every moment of comedy right now, but I do love that there was a movie called Keep Off My Grass <laughs> with Mickey that Shelley Berman helmed, as we say in, in the trades. He lensed. No, he helmed it. Uh, uh, in any case, going to the um, uh, abortion uh, on that note, uh, yeah, uh, the, getting back to that episode or the two episodes of Maud. Yeah, it. I want to make the case for people that that weren't there, didn't remember, uh, or too young, mm. that it was really about the, if there was a shock value, is the shock value of her talking about it. It wasn't about whether it was right or wrong. No, and that she ended up getting That was not one. a thing, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And it was, it was not a thing. There were not uh, crazy people keeping you from getting an abortion. No, and her husband had her back, then. as I recall, Walter. Uh... Right, Walter absolutely yeah. had her back. Um, but it wasn't a, a political issue. It wasn't, a, oh, people are going to mm -hmm. look down on me. It wasn't a religious issue. It was purely the idea of... Um, if there, if it was radical, it was radical because a woman of her age too mm -hmm. was talking about being pregnant uh, and that she was going to have an abortion. And could I point out it's before Roe? Yes, it was. It was an issue, um, like every women's issue, and like now we're facing again at the end of eighteen months of this COVID and the racial reckoning and the uh, uh, the terrible Nazi uprising in their country and the anti-vax and anti-science nonsense. The issue that comes to the fore is it always has that we've always talked about on the show, Jennifer, that when I did the show without your voice on it, um, your voice was always in it because we always talked about this. And it's it, women are at the forefront of everything, whether they're the gymnasts who are speaking out, whether they're the tennis players who finally received their... Uh, um, Rings from the U.S. Open, the women, uh, the, the original gymnasts, line. And by gymnasts, you mean like the greatest gymnasts? I mean the most famous in American, Olympic athlete the in the world. The greatest of all Simon time. Biles, yeah. Right, Simone, Simone Biles. Biles. And Had, it went from the Met Ball Gala, I yeah. mean, to uh, Congress and, and spoke yes. about what happened to her. And one of the things the four gymnasts were, were uh, so alarmed about was that the process was so uh, broken mm -hmm. that dozens and dozens of young women Hundreds, yeah. were also harmed. And so th this is something that cannot be spoken of enough. Uh, no, and this isn't the first time they've spoken of it. And this has been going on for years and years and years. And it just, everything points to women's issues that, um, right. what the ruling in Texas or rather the law in Texas that went into effect and everybody was calamitous over it and quite right because it is, 
uh, a watermark in abortion. It's the kind of thing that pushes us to the next level of what legally is going to happen. And the Justice Department jumped into action and an emergency request to a federal judge in Austin to immediately block enforcement of the law happened yeah. a week and a half ago. Yes. So it isn't as if the Justice Department is standing aside and it isn't as if the Biden-Harris administration is ignoring this in any way. We'll, I can't predict They the don't few, work on Twitter time. No. They actually wrote something up to a, be, it, to be honest, over it, a weekend. It was lightning fast yes. for them, for the DOJ to come in a week later after that. No, I just mean that. people are so oh, I know. up in arms and they are so uh, upset with Merrick Garland. And then, that, oh, come to pass that, oh, they actually did make a decision about but, this. And then our vice president... Kamala Harris welcomed abortion providers and patients to the White House mm -hmm. last week. Um, they're on this, and this is part of their stance. Yes, it is what this government supports, which yeah. is a woman's right to choose ultimately. And you'll find if you peruse the DOJ brief, which you don't have to, it's the constitutionality of the law in Texas. Forcing the undue burden onto women, depriving them of their right to do it, is literally strictly unconstitutional. Yes. The law guarantees you should be have access to it. Right. And so, therefore, that's why this is going forward and is working in that way. The DOJ has done a ton of things in the last week, but I wanted to just stop and talk about women for just a second because women's issues sort of presuppose every other issue. And with the abortion ruling, with the gymnasts talking, um, with the women judges that are being appointed to mm -hmm. the courts, which is a complete and utter 180 from yes. all of the white, unqualified men that 45 was able to stick in the court with McConnell's help. Well, uh, Biden's nominees have been confirmed, even with this uh Senate yeah. split 50-50. So get out a lot of those apples. On the fastest pace since Nixon. Right. And he's already had 12 judges confirmed uh, just in the last few days. Angel Kelly to the federal court um, in Massachusetts. She's the second black woman and the second Asian American judge to that court. David Estudillo in Western Washington. He's the second Latin on that court. His parents were farm workers in mm -hmm. Washington State. Is that your American dream, an operation there? Veronica Rossman to the federal court in Colorado. She was, very importantly, a public defender. Mm -hmm. She's not the first public defender that Biden has nominated to a federal position. Her family escaped anti-Semitic persecution in Russia. So you can see... I didn't uh, know they had that in Russia. <laughs> um, Putin is in COVID isolation. I know. I Cheers. Did, I was going to say, here, let me just... Cheers. Is it good luck to use iced tea? Uh, the just, he's done an amazing job. The Biden administration is powering forward with a bunch of uh, tons and tons of legislation activities. I really wouldn't get hung up on like the whole what's going to get through, what's not going to get through. They've already passed through the biggest, 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 enormous jolt to the economy since the 60s. It's the biggest, biggest, enormous jolt? Uh, let me recharacterize that as a, it's a cataclysmic shot from above. We were talking about Zeus before. This is the thunderbolt that America needed to have child poverty, to give everyone a $300, a $3,000 um, uh, um, grant for their children just for having children and a, a bunch of states that didn't vote for him got tons and tons of money they got money too like he said the other day I know that 
I'm the president for everyone because all a bunch of states of the of the recent money they gave out for the, uh, the tax credit for children. But it's it's profound because this is really what people need. Mm-hmm. People need. He went it. to Louisiana. Uh, he he went to where uh, Hurricane Ida hit, and mm. uh, he went to where the wildfires devastated people in Northern California. Yes, uh, he's gone to I think 21 states so far oh yeah he's really being the president of the people uh it it's it's exciting to see someone try to because we've had so much harm done to see someone try to rectify try to uh we have to conquer the pandemic mm-hmm. and uh more importantly than anything yeah. Nothing is more important than getting People it under control. People need to control. get vaccinated. You really, really need to get vaccinated. If you have any druthers about it, it, it we, you and I got the shingles vaccine. The side effects of that are a lot more intense than the COVID vaccine. Let me tell you, don't worry about it. It's, it's a couple of hours to a day of maybe feeling tired or your arm aches. And that's it. And then you're less likely to end up in a hospital it's or the, your friends or your, yes. your friend's children. It's the unvaccinated that are suffering the most now. And the numbers are crazy. Um, in some states, it's off the chain, Idaho, Florida. Right. And I was uh, speaking to a friend in Idaho the other day. And he was telling me that nowhere he goes, no one is, is uh, I mean, uh, wearing a mask. There's no one, there's not a mask mandate. The governor of Idaho mm-hmm. is against a mask mm-hmm. mandate, wants to have a lawsuit against the president over a mask mandate when they don't have. They have now breached. They have no room in their hospital ICUs. They are sending people to other states. Right. So you can't have a broken arm. You can't have a heart attack. You can't have cancer. When masks obviously cut down well, on I, the well, virus. I wouldn't call it politicizing. They, the papers and the media always use the word that masks are politicized. It isn't politicized. It's weaponized. I think they've yeah. weaponized it. You were talking about the lost cause. And, um, you know, your experience uh, in the South, living in the South when you were little. And the the way that the... It's characterized. Robert E. Lee's statue got taken down, which was just brilliant. Oh, yes. And and I wanted to, I have actually the name here of uh, the the detail that was really nice. Uh, Devin Henry Mm -hmm. was the owner, is the owner of the construction company that took down the statue of Robert E. Lee in Richmond. And there was a photo in the paper of him hugging his mom. He's Mm African-American. Isn't that great? Yes. Yes. And so, I mean, they were just uh, let their feelings be known. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's such an important How joyful it was to take down his statue. be removed, you know? Well, uh, there was an uh, editorial in the Washington Post where someone compared, it would be like putting up, and it's a terrible analogy, the the seditionists in January 6th, because my point is, a lot of these statues are put up, Robert E. Lee, Jefferson Davis, the Stonewall Jackson, the ones you see all over the country. Um, 
after the Civil War, well after, yes. many of them in the 1890s, with the absolute intent and widely understood knowledge at the time that they were about white supremacy and that they were about rewriting history and that they were about intimidation and about denying what really happened and venerating people who were seditious slave-owning traitors who waged a terrible war against the United States. They were members of the United States who waged the war. So they're not people that... The, the argument that if you start to take down every statue of every Confederate, oh my God, we're going to take down Roosevelt's statue because he was, you know, mean to the Japanese... He interred Japanese people or... It, it isn't that. It's not the moral equivalent of that. We're talking about... And what we're, I'm getting we're talking at, about, why was there a statue to this man ever put up? Because of white place? supremacy and well, because exactly. of a, re, a Jim Crow segregation, a reaction to uh, and trying to stamp down any kind of independence, which is exactly what's going on now. There is no difference with the seditionists. And this is what brings me to the masks, Jennifer. The, in order to accept the big lie that 45 didn't win the election and there was some mean cabal against him of deep state and Antifa, mind you, whatever, Bill Gates. And then the mask being this uh, uh, symbol of uh, oppression by the left where the left is trying to control your body and your mind and you can't smile. And then the, the, the inoculation, which is absolutely safe and absolutely a miracle like the poll, like the polio inoculation or smallpox, well, something that will save that's us. That's what I said to the... Yeah. Well, is is an ex they're all an extension of in order to believe all of those things and to not believe in masks and all of that is fascism. Yes. It, it, it's 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 holding something that's wildly untrue as true and forcing people to do it in the face of literally everyone dying, like you say in Idaho. That the denial is so strong. Well, uh, when I was speaking to this friend in Idaho. I, I felt like I, I get to the same point with a lot of uh, white friends and they don't want to hear it. But mm. it's the reason I, I, he said that his uncle had polio. I said, well, you know, what, do, don't your parents want to wear a mask? And, uh, what, don't they remember polio? And he said, well, yeah, my uncle did have polio. And so then his you uncle. get to the crux of it, which is it's just racism. Mm. They they would rather die than give other people a break, basically. That's right. what's happening. Make, to make it easier on anyone else is anathema. Is a bigger sacrifice than than dying. Yes. And that includes not believing in the vaccination. Which makes it very dangerous to be anywhere near. Yes, it includes believing that uh, 45 needs to be reinstalled or that there's a legitimate government. It includes masking. There's no All logic that, to it. It's like owning guns or the prison system. It's literally part and parcel of what white supremacy is built on. You have to believe so fervently in something that even children and any kind of collateral damage doesn't matter. It literally doesn't matter as long as... And they really still feel like they can, although... And for Americans that uh, aren't looking at international news, um, there were a couple hundred thousand people marching in Paris against... They have a vaccination uh, passport, which... Uh, Come on, the, passport. The, right? The majority have no problem using. It's how you get into a cafe or a restaurant there. Uh, it, it's Planes, for, it's trains. for a lot of people to get vaccinated in France. Um, in London, they've had their fair share of protests. Uh, Edinburgh, they had people surround the castle 
which, you know, non-starter there. As you pointed out uh, in an earlier episode, to surround the Edinburgh Castle is to deny that there's a garrison and there's some of army. army. There is actually an <laughs> army garrison that could come out and call you, yeah. really, um, if you're thinking about taking but, but the castle it, it, over. Apparently, there, there are these uh, delusional racist rubes wherever you look. And the others, but get, they're not the majority. No, not at all. And the truth is, that if everyone, if we get close to 100 percent vaccination, it'll work. Uh, the people who physically can't take it, I understand. The people who have conditions that don't allow them to take it, but most it, it, save it that. It's over. I don't want to hear about your uh, your disposition. I don't want to hear about what you thought. I don't want to hear about, about your, your religious cousins, friends. My, when other my, regions. I, I, you and I have been to the Caribbean many times, and we've seen many of our cousins, uh, of people's cousins, friends in the Caribbean. And I remember that one time we were in Belize, and I thought, those are puffy. But I thought, you know, leave wow. it. Leave it. Let it cool. Wow. Get out of the sun for a minute. Put it in the ice chest with the red striped beer or whatever, and we'll have that cool down. Uh, I don't want to hear about people's belief systems or any other reason why they don't want to take the vaccination. And well, this, this is point, what brings me to why I'm not liking comedy now. There's a bunch of comics who oh, are oh, yeah. uh, uh, not promoting uh, the civic health, public health. There's nothing more important than public health. Why? Let's just go for purely selfish reasons. I'm going on tour with the Who's Live group at the end of the month, and we have a mask mandate and or a vaccine mandate, and sometimes a mask and a vaccine mandate at every gig we're playing. And a comic this week refused to play a bunch of gigs because uh, gigs where they require that, which is insanity. Yes. It, it, as you point out, it was like the Bill Hicks routine about Judas Priest. Uh, oh, I lo- I'm tired. Uh, oh, my God. We have fans coming. There's girls everywhere. Every night we play to sell out houses. I'm tired of it. But what if we put Satan's voice backwards on our record and forced our fans to kill themselves? So it now could, it could work. Yeah. COVID is that code word for deviltry. And they think that the deviltry is that liberals are forcing them to do these horrible things with their bodies when the truth is that we love our fans and we want to be safe. We're going to wear masks backstage. We're going to unmask when we come on stage. We're all vaccinated. We ask that you provide the same consideration for the other members of the audience and everyone in the world in that regard. And I don't think it's crazy to ask that. I, I'm not asking you to believe what I believe or even laugh at all the jokes when you're there. I think people, <laughs> wow, the, the, the people that want to think it's over or minimize what's happening, it's a worldwide event. It's not done until it's done everywhere, too. And right? it, of spectacular intensity and brutality, and uh, you can't minimize the harm that's been done. And to not want to have safeguards is really Mm -hmm. horrifying. You might take a minute and think about the giant monument that they have in Washington right now. Yeah. There's 600,000 people. It's going to be 700,000. And who knows how many in the end? And that's just our country. Never mind the world. And and that's uh, probably an undercount. And, you know, I know there's lots of sharing, caring people out there who are saying we're not talking about the third world and other parts of the uh, universe where the vaccine's not as equally distributed. Obviously, it's not over till it's over everywhere because yes. we're a small place. So having said that, let me move into this fine ad for some of my hilarious wow, that's comedy. A transition. Isn't it? First of all, come and see us at The Lady Vanishes Tuesday night. Can I have some more water? Yes. Thank you. Come and see us at The Lady Vanishes Tuesday night at the Los Feliz 3. 
It's a super hip neighborhood with record stores and coffee shops. And it's next door to a bistro. And you can sit outside and have a glass of wine before you come to the movie and whatnot. And it's at 7 o'clock uh, is when we begin. And then I will do the podcast of Greg Proops Film Club. Jennifer has picked uh, 1933, I think 34, The Lady Vanishes with um, Dame Mae Whitty, who's the real star. It was written by a woman. Uh, Margaret Lockwood and Michael Redgrave. And yes, Michael Redgrave is Lynn Redgrave and Vanessa Redgrave's father. So that's how that works. Then Friday the 24th, I'll be doing the Proopcast from right here at the Fortress of Proopitude. Uh, Jennifer will be joining in from the side, as it were. (laughs) That's a five o'clock gig. Uh, Please join me. There's a couple tickets left. Friday, this Friday, September 24th, five o'clock. It'll be fun. And it'll be be out in the other room, not uh, near where the... um, Ant Farm used to be, but just over uh, where the reupholsterer's uh, hut was, and uh, quite near the putting green, where the rivulets used to flow, where the small <laughs> ocelots used to drink. Whose line is back on the road? And we start, we've changed some of our dates. We don't start in Northampton, Mass. We start in Glenside, PA. Uh, Northampton got moved to next year. And then, that's September 30th, then the first Montclair, New Jersey, the second Westbury, New York, the fifth Medford, Mass., the seventh, uh, sixth Boston, Mass., which is a gig we really like um, at the Wilbur Theater. Great fun. And then Portland, Maine, and I'm really looking forward to that because I believe we're eating, is it a vegan tie? Well, I showed you the menu tonight. It's called the Green Elephant. Yeah, it's a vegetarian Asian fusion. Okay, listen, we're going to go vegetarian that night. I, look, I can get a cheese... I don't want a cheeseburger in Portland, man. You know what I want, Jennifer. Lobster roll. Lobster. And let me see that lobster roll. Is it lobster season in the autumn, or will there be out-of-season lobsters? Right. You know, right? These are the dilemmas. These are the worries. And then October 8th, Portsmouth, uh, New Hampshire... Ninth Tarrytown, then Troy, Rochester, um, and then Springfield, Illinois. I think, well, some of the dates got changed. Anyway, God, I counted them today. How many dates did I tell you we're doing in the next year? Uh, about 7,000. Yeah, a million. So it's at whoslive.com, Ryan Stiles, uh, me, Joel Murray, um, and uh, who's com- new on a new wrestling show on Stars. I can't remember the name of it. Joel and his wife are on it, and it's uh, sensational. And uh, let's That's see, cool. and Ryan Stiles, I'm trying to think of the name of the bloody show. Uh, Ryan Stiles is uh, uh, starring in this uh, affair. October 29th and October 31st, which is Halloween. Yes, we're back. We're really, really back. Nightmare Before Christmas, John Mocheri at the Baton. Um, Danny Elfman is going to be singing his part of uh, Jack Skellington, the part that he wrote the entire musical. It's so boss. We show the movie live. It's going to be at the Bonk Stadium, B-A-N-C, Le Bonk of California Stadium, uh, on October 29th, Friday, and then on Halloween night. So two shows. Um, Ken Page is coming from uh, the Midwest to sing Oogie Boogie, which is really exciting. And Weird Al Yankovic, I think, is singing Shock in the uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Kidnap the Santa Claus. Uh, you can go online at Ticketmaster.com. Um, it's called The Nightmare Before Christmas Live. It's really fun. We're doing two shows. I couldn't be more excited about it. I feel like so many things are, you know, life's not going to be normal, as they say it is, for a long time. But getting to do Who's Live and getting to do um, Nightmare Before Christmas again is really something that lifts our spirits around here. Uh, in any case, come and see us at all those things. They're all at gregproops.com. 
And like that. What have you got? And then we should probably think about letting people live there. Oh, we talked about Gavin Newsom. Mm-hmm. The one last note on the Gavin Newsom thing, there's an election coming up in um, Virginia. And Virginia's been super blue lately. And a friend of the show, Danica Rame, has won her seat twice in the Virginia House Yay. of Delegates. I say that because we're going to Chicago at the beginning of November. And the last time I was in Chicago, two years ago, the next gigs we did were in Maryland and then uh, Minnesota. And we got to see Danica Rame and Andrea Jenkins. Uh, Andrew Jenkins is awesome, right? And um, they're trans elected officials, and they're just terrific uh, elected officials. They're really groovy public yeah, servants in both places. I just wanted to throw out a shout out to them about that. Michael K. Williams is swirling in the heavens, from all accounts and from everyone that worked with him. I mean, he's the kind of person that went to children's hospitals. He yes, yeah, so got- I was reading today about how he he would go to. Uh, this one children's hospital in New Jersey and he would sit with the kids and watch uh, here's the four-year-old Anthony who is bored in pediatric intensive care at Newark Beth Israel and he brought him a puzzle and crayons and a coloring book Uh, he made the rounds and was hanging out with the kids and uh, when he watched him uh, knock off the puzzle in about four minutes, uh, he tried to distract uh, another boy who was wearing a Giants hat. So you're a Giants fan. The kid nods and never takes his eyes off the screen. And uh, Right, football Giants. Right. Williams discovers during their one-sided chat that ESPN costs extra on the hospital's TV what? menu. He quietly asks how he can pay for the boy to get every sports channel. Don't worry, I'll get on it, a hospital administrator says. Um, Williams's friend watches from a corner. He loves this stuff, he says. He'll talk about these kids all the way back to Brooklyn. Um, as Williams moves from room to room, the, patient, the parents are thrilled by the visit and thankful that someone cares. And a total stranger at that. Strangers help me remember, Williams says. God has blessed me. I've been given a lot. I'm at peace with myself. It's time to give back. And uh, as he exits the ward, one of the mothers says, thanks. And she says, where do I know you from? Who are you? And he grabs her hand and says, I'm Mike. Just Mike. Wow. Isn't that beautiful? beautiful. You know him from every show. The Wire, from Boardwalk Empire, from dozens of things. Tupac. Oh, uh, yes. He was was a dancer. He'd been in a lot of things when uh, he was cast to be in the movie Bullet. That was a Tupac Shakur film. And... He was in the car with Tupac, and Tupac told him, I, I chose you for this. Wow. Because of your look. And it, it's an odd little film, but he's, you, he's memorable in mm-hmm. it, his first film. He's a very he's memorable actor. He really is. And I don't think there's anyone he worked with whose life he didn't touch. Our friend Aisha Tyler wrote this about them. And then we will go gently into this good night. Hoping to see you uh, this week at the Greg Proops Film Club and or... Uh, the podcast next Friday and then joining us on the road which comes up and goes on forever Aisha Tyler wrote this about Michael K. Williams 
Uh, and it's wild to get lose these artists like Michael K. Williams and John so, yeah. Mondo and oh, cool. but the the power and the yes. the touchingness. Michael K. Williams was a beautiful, passionate, expansive soul. I felt so lucky to have known him, and we were all so fortunate to have enjoyed his credible talent. He burned so very bright. Rest in power, Michael K. Williams. You'll forever be the king. Uh, Jennifer's been the smartest woman in the world. I've been the smartest man in the world. You've been the smartest audience in the world. Maybe. Uh, Bell that rings for you be a cool Papa Bell, and every page that turns be a satchel page. If you have to buy bonds, make sure they're Bobby Bonds. The Giants are in first still, by the way. We wish you nothing but peace and love. And we'll see you in the World Series. <laughs> this is Morricone, isn't it? Ennio Morricone, the professional. Jean-Paul Belmondo. Oh, yeah. You may want to cry in slow motion to this. (laughs) 